Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode number 45. I uh, hope everybody's enjoying their week. Uh, today, I want to welcome Stephanie Mock, who is the University of Pittsburgh Assistant AD for uh, Sports Performance. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, happy to get everything going and just, you know, talk about your background and also, you know, the new ventures you got there at, uh, at Pittsburgh. Yeah, Joe, thanks so much. Yeah, back in the North, just like yourself. From the north, I'm really excited to be up here, and I'm I'm really excited to be on. So thanks so much. Oh, very welcome, and can't wait to get things going on. Uh, so why don't we just go right into you know the background, you know, growing up uh, up north, and then we'll kind of segue into how you got involved into the crazy world of strength and conditioning. Yeah, no, Joe. Um, so I grew up in Butler, Pennsylvania. So it's definitely in the middle of nowhere. And there's some cows wandering around in some fields. So grew up in Butler, PA, about 45 minutes north of Pittsburgh. Um, with that, I definitely partake in a lot of sports uh, growing up. Uh, I did track and field, gymnastics, volleyball, dabble, a little bit of everything, even bowling at one point in my life. Because um, so my mom was so set on me being a great bowler. I was like, oh, heck no, this is not a thing for me. So um, took part in a lot of different sports, played on some club teams. But yeah, I grew up in Butler, PA. Um, not too much going on, but I'm thankful because really my parents and my dad was like a brick mason, never went to college growing up. Uh, and then my mom's an accountant, but yeah, my dad's super hard worker, grew up on a farm, uh, lays brick and block for a living. So I really get my, my work ethic from him. And I think that's, what's really carried over to going in the field of strength and conditioning. As we all know, we've worked long hours and work ethic is quite important. So that's just a little taste of my, uh, background growing up. Absolutely. Uh, also like yourself, not so much as Butler PA, but I did grow up in the woods a little bit. There is a farm behind my house. Uh, a little different world coming through, especially when you go to bigger places and see those things. But I also think, yeah, that those things do resonate, right? It's all about kind of the the mood that you grow up in, not even, you know, just in, in terms of the grouping. When you grew up, did you have like lots of friends around and you were always playing sports and, and kind of getting in trouble and stuff like that? Or was it more, uh, were you on your own and, and kind of individual when you were, you know, when it came to playing sports and growing up? Yeah, you know, my parents really didn't play any sports growing up. Like my mom... <laughs> Her mom didn't even have a license to drive, to be honest. So like she didn't have the opportunity. So I think that made me very, uh, very, very thankful, you know, that I had the opportunity to play a lot of sports and also play on like travel teams and then, and then put forth the money for me to do that. But yeah, like we lived on a good amount of land. So it wasn't like I was in a cul-de-sac of homes. So like a lot of my friends would come over and we'd like earn our keep by uh, pulling weeds or like chopping down a tree and, and carrying limbs to go like swim in the pool. So definitely uh, lived by the, the earn everything, you know, deserve nothing, earn everything piece because that's how I kind of grew up. And I appreciate it now because it's kind of really given me my, my roots 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when did you start getting into the strength conditioning aspect, right? You said you play a lot of sports, pretty much all of them, including bowling. Um, but when did you, you know, was it something that you didn't get into later or was it something that you kind of equated to getting you better, you know, at those sports and something that was added in, in kind of the high school era? 
Yeah, no, definitely in high school, we had like a weight room, but of course we didn't have a strength coach and the weight room was definitely, uh, you touch the bars and you'd be leaving and your hands are pretty dirty, <laughs> right? Um, I think about it now with COVID, I'm like, oh man, quite dirty and not very sanitary, <laughs> that's okay. Um, but yeah, like in high school, I really wasn't uh, exposed to, to too much weightlifting minus like the football coach being like, hey, let's hang up the sheet and everybody does it. So I think once I got to college and I was... Uh, lucky enough, I played at West Virginia University. I played volleyball there. And one thing for me, like I'm five foot three, so not very tall playing at a power five school. And I really maximized my potential by capitalizing in the weight room and training. And I know like I had two different head coaches when I was at WVU and, and they both were like, Hey, I feel as if the, the area for you to lead, like you love training, you really embrace it. We need some other players in the team, like 50% liked it. 50% were like, eh, I could kind of like be indifferent showing up to weight. So I really tried to help take that 50% and get them to embrace training. So something that I loved, you know, and I knew I needed to, to harness that time as a, a five foot three player, you know, at a power five level to, to maximize my training and my potential throughout my four years at WVU. So I think I was like kind of the, the weight room um, leader, more or less, you know, so, uh, or czar, one would say, you know, so I was I really embraced that role and then it ended up leading into my career as I got done playing in college. Yeah. Uh, awesome story. And like I said, I think that happens with a lot of the coaches or most of everybody who is a strength coach or get into, gets into the field. It's more, you play sports because same way. I mean, I did, I played, you know, everything and uh, you know, I, I do live on a cul-de-sac. So there was my friends in the houses and everything were there, but we played every sport, ice hockey in the winter, you know, the second the snow melted, we played basketball. We always played football, but I think the, that, you know, kind of being, being um, exposed to all that, I think that helps with a lot of the weight room stuff because we didn't lift weights until 16, 17 years old, right? We had the grungy weight room. If you wore white in there, it would be rust colored Brown. And, you know, it was a small weight room with no ventilation and it was just, it was like a gross sauna, you know, sorry for everybody listening out there, but it was just, you know, our football team won the state championship. So naturally everybody on the basketball team and, and so on and so forth uh, had to do the same thing. You know, we power cleaned and jumped on boxes and we did deadlifts and bench press. And I think that's about it. I mean, there was no, you know, introduction to anything other than that, but it's just the, you know, I think today's athletes, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, especially in my training and everything else there isn't that camaraderie of pickup basketball. You know, I, I just, I started reading Bill Walton's, you know, kind of biography a couple of days ago, you know, I love Bill Walton and, you know, with the broadcast stuff and, and playing for John Wooden. But one of the things I thought was very interesting is, is that he talked about where he grew up in, in San Diego. He would go to basketball courts all the time, right? He used to play every sport uh, with his brothers, but then when he was about 14 years old, he found like this in the park, they had this indoor basketball court and, that was the end. He would go there every day and just play basketball. And he was talking about how after he found that out, he would plan out like, oh, if I leave this time on Monday, I can play in the second half of this game and then I can get to the end of this one and so on and so forth. But the point of the story was that he said, I think that's being lost in today's athlete. They don't go and play on their own. It's almost like they're replacing that you know, camaraderie with going to a strength coach and why I think the weight room is phenomenal. I don't think that you you develop as much if they were playing four, five, and six sports up until they were 17 and then kind of adding in the weights and things like that. They're just going right to the weight room and they're kind of cutting down on, on playing that higher level of competition with kind of no rules at whatever sport they're in. 
Yeah, no. Picking up some street ball or even some bowling, right? But I remember like for my situation with volleyball, I'd even get a volleyball and like hit it on the roof and it rolled back down. And that's how I would like practice, you know, if I didn't have friends that would come by, you know, so that like level of discipline of wanting to improve, you know, if I hit it over the roof, that, that was my conditioning of sprinting around through the grass and all that jazz <laughs> to get the ball and then bring it back around. So I was like, all right, this is like my training, so to speak. But I think, yeah, the, the creativity and um, the lack thereof of playing multiple sports, uh, especially at like younger ages, because kids are specializing earlier and earlier because they're getting recruited at earlier and earlier ages. So parents are like, all right, they have to pick their sport and roll with it. And they're only like nine or 10 years old, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, because you're gonna you're getting recruited at like 13 so it's a it's a wild wild west for sure of how early we're recruiting these kids and then also like once they actually get to you if they've had two acl surgeries already you know Mm because you had them commit so early and then you're inheriting a medical mess you know i think we've been looking at like just some screeners and things like that of hey look at these kids that we're recruiting like and putting a lot of money in and investing do you think this is a great idea knowing their their injury history and, and all that jazz so i think it's definitely affecting the the younger generations coming up and we're seeing it um, from an injury standpoint as well. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, where I, the direction that I went after, you know, getting out of, out of baseball was that in that, because when I was there, it was the same thing. I was seeing kids 21 years old from, I won't name universities, but different big, big schools and they can't squat and they can't move. They get hurt all the time. They have all these issues. And I'm like, you know, these are big, giant schools with hundred million dollar weight rooms. Why are kids coming to you and they can't squat? They can't deadlift. They can't balance on one leg. They can't do dead, dead bugs. Not that these exercises are the end all be all, but they don't have basic movement patterns. And I think there should be more emphasis, especially with what we're going through now. If you're going to train younger kids, if you're on a private facility, how important your role is, because if you're training a 12 year old, you're, you're going to cut, you're kind of setting the tone for their entire athletic career, because if you teach them bad patterns, there's going to be issues along the way, not necessarily they're going to end their athletic career, but there is a potential there. And then when they get to you and, you know, you have all, all the, you know, the, the knowledge and the proper stuff, we're fighting a war again. Well, for seven years, if you had ingrained of bad squatting and bad movements, bad cutting, all those things, now I only have two years or so to, to fix that. And I think that's what makes, you know, things a lot harder. And then when they show up in the first place, in their eyes, this was working for me. Now you're making me do this stuff I don't want to do. And you got me hurt as opposed to, it has nothing to do with that. It's more, the patterns were bad. I have to fix them. But, you know, as a consultation, sometimes they get hurt. So that really affects the, the buy-in that you have to, you know, kind of struggle with. Yeah, no, I can't even tell you the countless amount of videos that like sport coaches will show me of like, hey, Suzy Q's mom posted this on Facebook of her squatting 300 pounds and uh, the the range of motion is quite limited, you know, and uh, her squat patterns are not all fantastic, you know, but she squatting 300 pounds. That's awesome. Posted on Facebook and this and the other. And then they arrive with us and then they're wondering why we're not allowing them to squat 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we have all these underlying issues that have occurred. So it's kind of like this battle that we're fighting of, they, they feel as if, oh my gosh, you're holding me back. And it's like, no, we got to build a, a solid foundation. And it almost takes even more time. I'd rather get somebody that's completely raw and not lifted anything and played four sports versus specialized in a sport since they were in the, the sixth grade. And they think they've been lifting at a high level, but I think that's one thing when we have, as we're having more recruits come back on campus, right after COVID, 
um, some of the, the information that I tell parents, you know, and, and some of the athletes is just like, Hey, play as many sports as long as you can. Like if you have someone that's certified, you know, in the area that you feel as if you can trust in to give you proper training, like don't rush to load the bar, right. Movement's key notion is lotion type of thing. So it's like, yeah, that's just some of the, the key factors I try to tell some of these parents because they're trying to pay like four different people to train their kids. Right. So it's like someone to, to train, change direction, someone to train them in the weight room. Like, it's like you're putting out so much money when you could just have them play a few more sports and they'd probably be better off. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Anybody listening who's a parent, that's the same thing I say. What's the best thing for your kid to do? Have them play every sport under the sun until they're about 16 or 17 years old. Obviously, football for me is always be careful because if you have a baseball scholarship, it doesn't make sense for you to go running across the, across the middle of the field and getting destroyed. But absolutely, you know, instead of spending all that money and then you have the the part where you're, you're battling, right? Oh, I did this with so-and-so. Okay, now I have to call so-and-so. Or, you know, you sign up for these places. And I also think in an effort for marketing, as you, you know, you touched on, now you have specializing pitching or running backs. Now they offer strength conditioning. So now we're constantly, well, well I want to go to this place because they make velos go up or they make guys faster. So, so they have that skill set, but also they offer weightlifting programs. So now if you're, you already their strength coach or their private, you know, trainer, what have you, now we're, we're kind of stuck in a conundrum. And I think that is where the social media stuff becomes an issue because it's constantly comparing with things that are not, you know, have nothing to do with, you know, whether or not you're succeeding. I, I hope that, you know, cause they're doing it now, you know, with the deadlifts, you know, once you squat over, I think it's what 475, there's a, you know, the, there's a negative correlation and in, in velocities and things start going down. I hope at some point they start putting up numbers for younger kids and say, okay, if you squat 150 pounds at 12, you're okay. That's what every other kind of big time football player or big time baseball player is. Instead of you have these kids, you know, trying to squat twice their body weight at 14 and then showing me a video of some kid who got drafted two years ago doing the same thing. And I think that's where we kind of have that, you know, that continuing conflict that we don't don't want to deal with because we're always, you know, of course, trying to make everybody better. You know, the players, we want the players to be better and not be hurt. Yeah, no, I think uh, performance should trump everything, right? You know, so like how is the weight room playing into the performance, you know, and, and like you're saying, I think how strong is strong enough is something that people always talk about, you know, and, and laying out like, all right, relative strength as well, you know, making sure that you're, you're looking into all that, but yeah, I think there's a social media can be such a great thing and such a poor thing, right? You can find so much great information on it if you're going to the right places, but also on the opposite of the spectrum, like, I think we have to, we can't like ignore it, right? We have to stay on the forefront of like as sport pitch, especially for me, I'm over like 19 teams, right? And I'm going to have head coaches come to me and be like, hey, do you know about this person or that person and this specialist and that? So like, I need to be well-versed in whether it's like technology that's out there or private facilities. Um, so just making sure I'm staying up to date, but then also being able to have conversations with them of like, hey, I love that you're trying to um, continue to push, you know, and find great resources, but let's talk about what's going to be the best fit for for our kids here, you know, and the low hanging fruit that usually you need to kind of check those boxes. But I think it's important always to like hear them out, right? You know, mm -hmm. like at least you got to respect their their hunger to learn. I'd rather have that than like someone that's complacent and wants to do the same thing every year, you know? So like, let's continue to grow, but 
let's make sure we're finding good resources. So one thing that I always do is like, if I find a good article, you know, whether it's baseball, softball, soccer, all the above, I'll share it with the sport coaches and be like, Hey, like, what are your thoughts on this? This is what I saw. And I thought it was interesting. Um, so really just trying to like have a relentless pursuit for knowledge, but then also trying to educate along the way as well. But it's so, it's so important to, to hear people out, you know, cause they're, they're probably onto something, but maybe you can steer that ship in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it right on that communication between all kind of the aspects of that sports medicine triangle is the most important because any, you know, whether it's right or wrong, all the coaches are trying to do what's best or what they think is, is going on. And then with the kids, it's getting them to understand, but also same thing, letting them tell you why they want to do this. Oh, I want to do this exercise because this person did it or this this person did it and their velocity or their 40 time went up. And I think that is, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope, but I think that is a very important thing to have in the industry because you want to make them feel, you know, like they're part of their own program, but you also want to be able to offer them different things. So I think there's a good balance there between, you don't want to be the overall authority, but we want to make sure that what they're doing and what they're looking at is, is, you know, um, is positive. I was, you know, Lee Taft was on last week and we talked about the same thing. How strong is too strong? And we were talking about, I don't know if you follow basketball, but Giannis got hurt with the hyperextension of the leg. And, you know, we were talking about how that's something he's done over and over and over again. And, you know, I asked him, what does he think with the, you know, with the injuries and the point he brought up, I, I agreed with, he said that, you know, how, how strong is too strong, right? What's happening is people are concentrating solely on deadlift numbers or these things that have to happen and their deadlift has to keep going up and up, but their skill isn't going up. So now you're, you're the, the weightlifting is impeding your skill. And, and that's where we start their problems. And I think at some point we have to put stoppages on these things because Giannis right now is the greatest player on the planet. We don't need him sitting out in the finals because he's trying to deadlift X amount. Of, he doesn't need to get any stronger. The guy can jump over the rim. He's, I don't think he needs any help on vertical leap or whatever. He needs more, you know, fascial strength and, and different things with tissues. Yeah. You need to prove them. Right. And like, yeah. no, and look at themes. Like if, if you have an athlete that's consistently had the same injury over and over and over again, you continue to do the same training, like let's think outside the box and, and not put a square peg in a round hole and, and really have a conversations with all parties. You know, it's not just me, the strength coach saving the day. It's going to take the, the performance coach is going to take sports meds and take PTs, you know, like let's have conversations of maybe what we can do outside the box because player availability is key. You know, I think it's something we learned over COVID is like, Hey, if we have to hold, like whether it's somebody out for a midweek so they can go all weekend and it's that and the other, it's like, Hey, what are we looking at? How many games are they able to play in? Like making sure they're available for like the most important portion of the season at the end, you know, so how can we, how can we change things up and, and really look at scalability, you know, throughout the year and, and understand that what we do for Susie Q versus Joe, like we can't compare all the athletes on the same level. Like everyone has differences and that's where the, the history, you know, the historical information of what injuries they had in the past, like let's not let that repeat, you know, and we know how the, the season undulates. So how can we really manage all that, you know, at the highest level and using everybody on the performance team to do that at the same time? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, you see it in baseball, you know, and, and the same thing in basketball. I don't think you should have guys getting hurt in their seasons over because they played one season of not 82 games or not 162. And I, I think that was very interesting. And everybody's like, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, I think they're going to get hurt because 
they're not playing, they're lifting, and then you're having, you know, that's not a good sign in terms of you, you know, if you can't have the same offseason, you shouldn't only play half the games. And I thought it was, you know, very interesting, you know, especially with a lot of like LeBron, uh, his, my opinion of him is, is, no, whatever, but, you know, complaining about sprained ankles and these things or the seasons are too long. And, and I think those are all things that, you know, they, they shouldn't be up for debate because you should be able to play 82 basketball games and you should be able to play your 162 baseball games. And those are the things I think, you know, like, just like you said, it's going to take a full effort of everybody, but I also think it doesn't look good, especially in the professional realm. When, if you split a season in half, all the guys are all of a sudden injured and they can't move and they can't play more than 10 games the next year. And everybody's like, Oh, it's because last year I only threw 60 innings instead of 110, which doesn't make any sense on any, you know, spectrum. It should, you should be better because you had more time off. Yeah. Yeah. No, one thing that I've always thought about when it comes to the performance realm is just making sure that you, you really drill in um, driving an athlete centered approach, you know, and not a training centered approach, which is what you're talking about now. And just, it's our job to create and develop like physical preparedness for their sport, you know, and not losing that sight and really just, especially this last year, like people should learn like developing a model that is highly agile in nature, you know, and just every great model is scalable. And, and if you don't have a model that's scalable, like you should probably have more conversations and try to try to figure out like what resources do you have around you to continue to, to make that an agile model? Because like, this past year, we'd go through a week and maybe we get shut down for two weeks. And it's like, all right, well, what's our plan to, to ramp back up? You know, like, so if you don't have a scalable model and you're like, all right, well, what we did last year, we have to do the same exact thing. And it's like, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, like we're mm-hmm. living in a, so if you didn't really, I think this past year, like the best strength coaches and performance teams really like rose to the occasion, you know, and it really separated the gap of like, the people that were able to do that and the people that not so much, you know, you really have to evaluate kind of where you're at as a staff. And it really brought people to fruition of, of how good they are at their job, you know, to a certain mm-hmm. degree. It really, it really like some people rose a lot and, and some people like even in the college athletic realm, I can, I can't even tell you how many people got out of the field because this past year was such a tough year, you know, so much wear and tear, but your ability to, to rise above and figure it out um, and be scalable is key. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that for me, it was always, you know, that's how all the strength and conditioning has always been. You know, I say it all, you know, you can say it all the time. You write a program down, it looks great. Even every time you start a new cycle, but then something happens. This happens, not enough people, somebody else has to come in. And, and I think that is the nature of the beast. And if you can't do that, or you get obsessed with what I wrote down for this week or whatever, this year, definitely expose that. I, I think that even in terms of not to take it fully off the staff, but I don't think either the players, it's on them as well. Because by this time, if you're a veteran, you should know what works and, and what kind of, you know, doesn't work. So I think this year, you know, it, it was a terrible year for everybody, but also I think it, it did some positives in the way of your program has to be scalable. You have to be able to, you know, move with what's going on. And I think it just makes everybody better for, you know, the future. Same thing with, you know, just general private business. If you can't train through a computer, there's a problem, you know, and, and if you're only good in with one person or the other, you're going to have a problem, even in strength and conditioning, because if it happens again, where everybody has to go home, the only thing they have is over the computer. So I think that's a great point you bring up where everything has to be scalable. Now, I think COVID taught us all that, you know, everything has to be comprehensible. Everything should be able to be done and explained very, you know, low, you know, not 
craziness because you're gonna have to explain it to a wide range of people and you might not be able to show them in person. And also you don't know what's gonna happen. Just like you said, you'd be full bore for three weeks and then all of a sudden you're shut down for two weeks and you're not doing anything close to what you're used to. Yeah, COVID year really was make or break for some people, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> I took a new job, so I was like, hey, let's rock and roll, what's next? <laughs> yeah, and you're 45 minutes from where you grew up, so you're good to go. Yeah, it's great. I can't complain. That was another thing I, I know, like a lot of, there were some different evaluations out there of like over this last year, why did people take new jobs? You know, and research was saying a lot of people took new jobs to get closer to home. You know, what was your reason for leaving the university? Oh, I want to get closer to family. So I think COVID really made people evaluate, including myself, because I had the chance to move back home and take a, a bigger, better job. So I was super excited about that. But um, like, all right, like what is important? You know, and you really sit back and evaluate with that time. Um, hopefully used it wisely, you know, as we're all in quarantine, whether you picked up some new books, uh, evaluated your personal life, professional life, all the above. So I think, uh, yeah, some people triumphed during COVID and some people did not. (laughs) So hopefully you came out on the top, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's a big, you know, people are going to stray away from moving 5,000 miles away to, you know, go to bigger opportunities because if those things happen again, you know, you, you get stuck, unfortunately. And I think, it was a big, uh, big teaching year. I just want to go back a little bit. So when you, you know, were playing sports, were you a leader on the field before you got into strength and conditioning? Were you the, you know, rah, 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 or were you kind of quiet, but did your thing? How were you kind of as an athlete and kind of being there with you when you played in high school and then, and then kind of segueing into college and, and being the person who got the team going in at West Virginia? Yeah, no, I'm sure you can kind of tell over uh, even Zoom. That I'm sure I'm you definitely... were really quiet and you didn't say anything. <laughs> Well, growing up, I was actually extremely quiet until I started playing sports, actually. And it kind of brought me out of my shell. My mom said when I was super young, I just stare at people's feet and never talk. So it was kind of funny. And no one believes it now. But uh, I think sports really brought me out of my shell, you know, forced me to communicate with, with groups of people, right? And track's a little bit more individualized, but between gymnastics, volleyball, um, track, indoor, outdoor, all that jazz, uh, it really really taught me that you have to have skills within the team to function cohesively. So I definitely would, I've had a lot of nicknames in my time, um, even when I was an athlete in a sense of like Energizer Bunny and, or like a spark plug. And even as I went into my coaching career and I was at Clemson, uh, even Rick Franzblau, the director down there, he named me Fireball. So it was funny <laughs> because my whole time there being a strength coach, everyone called me Fireball. And then I took the job at Mississippi State and as a director of Olympic sports and coaches were calling back to Clemson like, oh man, like do you know Stephanie Mock? Like she's here with us. And they're like, who? <laughs> and they're like, wait, you talking about fireball? And people <laughs> can even remember my real name. So I hope that if not for the liquor, it's not for the alcohol. It was just for my energy. A lot of people would misconstrue that. They're like, oh, wait, do you like to have a good time? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just my energy. So um, yeah, that was my nickname. And I think one thing that I was always taught growing up is just like, always do things that you love as your job, you know, because you can only do it at a higher level. And so you're playing volleyball in college. Like I loved playing volleyball wholeheartedly. Um, so I had to pick between like continuing to do gymnastics or which would make sense. I'm five, three, but of course I'm not going to pick the one that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I'll play volleyball. <laughs> um, love a good challenge. So uh, I think just kind of like the grittiness of that. And then also uh, when I started coaching, actually my first internship was with football at WVU. Um, I was like their first female intern. Uh, with football and I think that was a a great experience under Mike Joseph that's there he's still there now actually Um, he 
really taught me the ropes of like what to expect in the field and, and really put me through um, trials and tribulations and really set me up for success, which that's what I aim to do as a mentor now to young people is, is be very transparent and honest with them as hard as it may be sometimes those conversations, but full transparency is key, but then also, uh, yeah, loving your job, you know, some days are better than others, but, uh, if you're like going in, you'd see student athletes every day that you're like, you have the ability to impact so many lives, you know, how could you complain about that? You know? So we need to impact a lot more lives than the normal human being. So, uh, definitely a lot of energy, but, um, I think I can definitely be, especially in this role that I'm coming into now as more of an administrator. I really appreciate the time that I do get to get on the floor because it's a little bit more limited now in nature, but also it's, it's pretty neat as an SNC professional to be having more conversations with the higher ups of the university to kind of get them to understand one, like what our true role is. I think people do think that rah, rah from ESPN yep. and all that jazz is our only role, but um, getting them to understand how we help within the performance model and how we help write practice scripts. Uh, um, like for my role now, I'm over sports science and strength and conditioning. Like, all right, how do I plan to lead the sports science department for the next three to five years? You know, how do I build the plan or how do I plan to build out the staff, the budget, you know, so it's fully functioning. I'm building a whole new weight room, a whole new space for like, sports science will coexist with us. So everyone sees us on the same page, you know, so it's more of a performance science, but I think I have the ability now in this role. I'm excited about to, to have more relationships with the administration to get them to understand what we're doing, um, which is exciting, but also um, I can show that energy in that space and capacity. And also I get to show my energy on the floor coaching. So I think uh, that's me in a nutshell. So uh, there it is. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, I can tell a little bit, um, but no, I think it's great too, to be able to, you know, like you brought up to kind of bridge that gap because there still, there is that question. What do we do? Right. Everybody thinks we yell and scream. I bring it up every time I do a podcast, but the draft day with the guy, you know, and he comes in, I don't know if you've ever seen that with Kevin Costner and the strength coach comes on there and he starts yelling about the guy's bench press and things like, and I'm like, this is exactly, this is what everybody thinks you do. I mean, he's trying to like talk to him about his day and he's yelling about, Oh, did you see what happened this morning? And I think, that is is such a it, it I think it weighs so much more because people really don't know what you do, right? I mean, when you know in, in baseball, different things, everybody thinks you're an athletic trainer. Oh, is that you that runs on the field when some and I'm like, no, I don't do that. Oh, is that you you do all the weightlifting? I'm like, well, yeah, but 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 there's a whole bunch of other things that you do. So I think that's you know, that's huge because that needs to happen. It's still Somebody needs to write down, this is what you do. And I think that will kind of help with what our you know, role is, because I think a lot of times too, depending on where you go, people will bring you in and you do a lot of different things, but then somewhere else they expect you to do more or less. And I think that's where it's an issue. You know, if you go to, you know, if you're a surgeon, you only operate on what you're good at, what you went to and got fellowships for. As for us, you know, some people go to practice and, and they're all in and then other people just stay in the weight room all day like it's their, you know, own personal cave. And I think that bridging is, is extremely important that, um, you know, that we get through that. And I think it's also, you know, interesting also, you know, when you came through, you know, being very energetic, anybody out there, I've said this before, it is very important to be energetic because 
you know, not that you have to start out that way, but you are creating your environment. I've spoke about it before. It is your job to create environment. Your environment needs to be at 100%. If your kids come in at 50, you're the one that's going to come up with the other 50. If they come in at 80, you make up the 20. But if they come in at 11, you make up the other, you know, 89%. So I think it's very important to understand, though, that that rah-rah, the energy still has to be there because you set the tone for the weight room. And if you come in half asleep, the kids will come in half asleep. And I always think that that's, you know, you have people that, and, and I'm not against anybody being a strength coach, but people that want to be strength coaches that don't talk at all, you know, or they don't want like having conversations and not to say that that's something you can't get through, but when you're at the upper echelon, you've already been a volunteer and you don't speak, you know, and I think that's something it's hard to break through unless, you know, you just want to do the, the, uh, you know, the office stuff. Yeah, no, I think, uh, it was interesting. Even my interview process, when I came to Pitt, just the level of commitment that I saw, with this position, you know, and the amount of people I interviewed with, whether it was like people in the neuromuscular lab to do research with the student athletes, um, whether it was the head of innovation at the university of how we're gonna get creative with um, maybe fundraising money to meeting with the whole performance team and a round table discussion. I think the, the further evaluation we do for a lot of these positions, um, the better off we're gonna be as a field, you know, and really placing, um, people in leadership roles that are going to help push the field forward that are dealing with like meeting with the athletic director and educating them on what we do and, and how we're important, what we bring to the table. Because I think one thing that we're running into right now is just evaluation processes of how we know we're doing a great job at our job, you know, and are we being evaluated based off of how many injuries you had, you know, are we being evaluated based off of what the student athletes think of us? We're we being evaluated based off of the sport coaches, what they think of us. Uh, what about how we're collaborating with the other performance areas? So I think um, the further evaluation that we do in the interview process um, for hiring a lot of these positions, like the field will continue to grow and go, go in a good direction. Um, and then also like the evaluation processes, uh, whether it's every six months, every year, um, the higher level that we can do at that with developing coaches. You know, we talk about student athlete long-term student athlete development. You know, we have them for four years. Like, what does that look like? You know, um, but same with SNC practitioners. It's like, what are we doing to evaluate our job, you know, other than the strengths and weaknesses, you know, and all that jazz, like, how are we truthfully evaluating? Like you were talking about injuries that you've seen in other places, like, where does that really fall or lie? Does that fall on us? Does it fall on sports med? You know, does that fall on, like, do we need to bring in PTs or this, that, and the other, like more or, or people to do massage therapy? But like, I think the evaluation process for us as SNC professionals definitely has a lot of room to grow. And it's definitely something that I'm looking at currently um, for our process as well within the performance team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the way in which we're evaluate, evaluated definitely needs to change because it's always injuries. Oh, the team got hurt. It's the strength coach's fault, right? As opposed to, yeah, but according to the catapult, you know, their readiness was there. This is a freak accident or watch the video. This happens Nine times out of 10, if you plant your foot and your weight goes the other way, you know, ACL. And I think that is, is something huge. And I'm happy that, you know, you're doing that because we are always evaluated by injuries. It's never the how long the bus trip was or dehydrate. None of it's up. You broke your finger or this guy getting paid all this money got hurt. And then, you know, bring it up. LeBron again goes on TV and complains about his sprained ankle. And then the, the guy for the Lakers gets fired, you know, and, and LeBron, has his own sports medicine staff that follows him around. And that guy with the Lakers does nothing 
you know, kind of with him. So I think that is something that needs to be huge because now that the players have more and more power to say, you know, well, this is their fault or this happened. So I think it's very important to, you know, kind of get there and, and, you know, maybe take, take votes from the players. Okay. How were they, how did they help you with things from a psychological standpoint? Cause I think that is also something that gets overlooked. That's a part of the job, you know, 80% of the time, it's you trying to convince these athletes whether or not they want to follow, where they want to go, what's going on in their life, right? I'm sure you've experienced it in your journey. You have a kid who's a senior, his whole life revolves around football or whatever the sport, and they're not doing good or they're hurt, you know? And me with baseball, you're batting 100 and you're in double A and your whole family counts on you and you sign for $1,000. And these are the things that aren't talked about, but they're big, huge things that I think should be, you know, count more on being evaluated as opposed to injuries. Now, if you take the whole team and, you know, you run around for three hours and all of them pass out, that's on you directly as a strength coach. But if you're running down first base or you're cutting and you blow a knee out in football, is that necessarily our fault? Because that would have happened regardless. And I, I think that whole, you know, injuries are our fault because our job is, is, is always been to prevent injuries and to keep the athletes on the field. I think it gets kind of compartmentalized to injury. Okay, they prevent injuries. And if anybody gets injured, it's their fault. Yeah, no, I think uh, one thing that I've really harnessed throughout my, my time in strength and conditioning is like everyone talks about philosophies and it's such like a big overarching question. Like, what's your philosophy? And I know when I even came here on my interview, I just talked about just student athlete education, you know, it goes so far, you know, and they just want to know why, like explain the why behind everything. So when the freshmen come in, we have like an onboarding process and we educate them on like why we go through ground zero, you know, why are we doing all these bodyweight exercises when I've been lifting 300 pounds on my back? You know, who is the sports dietitian? What does she do? Oh, you get in the DEXA. What numbers do you get from that? You know, how can that help with performance? Sports psych, what do they do? You know, sports med, there's all these recovery modalities. There's boots, there's Theragun, there's this, there's that. Like there's float tanks. Like when do I get in these? How do I use them properly? I think like one student athletes more and more as they're coming up these generations want to know why. And I think it's really important for us as professionals to take that time, especially in that onboarding process, whether it's you're getting drafted as a young kid, you know, and coming in, educating them on certain things, like same with the college realm. I really put that first and foremost, it can go a long way, you know, you know, and help with some of these injuries that are underlying in the low hanging fruit of like, maybe you've just slept a little bit better, you know, to play video games till three in the morning and then you have 6 a.m. lifts. That could go a long way, you know? So I think utilizing um, the, the education processes and that's how you can use social media in a positive way. Like, all right, what are you putting out that you know the kids are always on, you know, scrolling through, like throw up some educational information that they're going to see, you know, it's just one thought, but um, yeah, really just, honing in on that, that student athlete education process and that onboarding process and getting it right, you know, and then of course that, that student athlete centered approach, you know, and, and talking with the sport coaches is going to be key as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important, even if they, they have somebody on social media that they like and their stuff might not be the best, but you, you should still go look at it. That way you can say, okay, what we do is the same as this video or this thing. But I think that education is, is huge because they, if they understand, they're more resilient to instead of it, you know, it's still some places, but it's getting better. This is my program. And, and this is, you know, what I'm doing. I know when I was, you know, in college, I, I had to have a, a big sit down and said, look, this is the program. And I know you guys, some of you don't like it because it was in the beginning, you know, we were doing body weight stuff and they're all losing their minds. And I was like, none of this is for me. Like, this isn't, doesn't make me happy to watch you do 
body weight squats with reaches and everything else. I was like, this is to make sure that we get to the next step and it's to make you better. And I said, and if anybody has problems, we'll come and talk to me. We'll sit down. I said, I have no problems explaining for two, three hours why we do this. You can even sit down and say you're an idiot and this doesn't make sense. And I'll happily explain to you everything. But I think that education stuff is phenomenal because that is how it's going to change. Because now if we take all of our knowledge, but then we relay it to the kids now and everybody buys in. But I think it is the time. I don't think the, the social media, as you said before, is a bad thing. I think it's just there is a lot of information there. But if we take the time to go through it and kind of see who they're following or why they're following them. And then we can relate it to what we're doing and the philosophies that we're trying to get them to abide by. You know, I, I think that there's so much opportunity there, especially on a positive note, you know, you talked about, you know, float tanks, restoration, things like that. Then if you want them to use that, or you have somebody who's reluctant to do things for recovery, you can say, look, who's your favorite athlete, blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, they use you know, whatever, cryo or, or a float tank or anything else. So I think it does serve as a tool. I think there is a lot and it's very hard to deal with the bandwidth of social media because you're constantly, you know, fighting against everything coming out in the new things. But I also think it can be a positive because in five seconds, we can go see what Bryce Harper does for recovery, you know, or you can see what Tom Brady's up to these things. And, and I think that just kind of helps, you know, for more of that education and just kind of keeping everybody in the loop like we talked about before. Yeah, no, I know, like, just long term, like, strength conditioning in the future, what I really wish for at some point is just like creating this new wishful thinking, like some type of like state licensure, just like the other health professions, you know, like nutrition has it, athletic training has it, sports psych, like massage therapy, PTs, but I think, I mean, the only one that doesn't have it is strength and conditioning, and I think, especially being in my role now uh, as an administrator, like it would legitimize a seat at the table, right? You know, like a lot of the time these ADs sometimes lean on uh, and like their background may be compliance or they're a lawyer or this, that, and the other, but like they lean on some of these medical professionals just because of their licensure. They're like, okay, well, that makes sense. But strength conditioning coaches, like they've been exposed to such a, a wide bandwidth of different strength coaches. Well, there was the head football strength coach, the Olympic person, basketball like they've seen such a large bandwidth good bad and different but uh i think it, it would really help for the field wishful thinking like in the future if we could get to that point i think it'd really help us take a step up you know and even like hopefully like sports med if a head coach gets fired like they're usually safe you know for the betterment of the student athlete and the long-term athlete development like i can't even tell you how many schools i've been at in the sense of like there's a, there's a student athlete that's had five strength coaches within their, their four years there, you know, and it's definitely taking a toll on what their development is in the weight room, you know, and, and performance. So in some way, if we could get to that point down the road, I think uh, it could help in a lot of ways. Absolutely. If, and if you start doing that with the accredited thing, I'll be the first in line. Cause I think we need a, a full, I mean, I think it should be like an LSAT. Everybody's like, why? I'm like, we need to get people out of the field. There's too many, too many people with too many philosophies and, and the same thing you said, I, I thought, you know, it's a disservice to an athlete. He shouldn't have five strength coaches because you're not, you're not going to get anything done. It takes two to three years to see what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, even when I was a GA, I mean, before I, I left, I didn't want to leave because I was like, look, I owe them to finish my two years because what's going to happen is I'm going to leave. Somebody's going to come in and then everything's going to kind of get flipped upside down. And I think that is, a very, very big thing that, that isn't often talked about. You know, if you have a kid or a group of kids that come in 
and you're changing their microcycle and their mesocycle around. And sometimes they're completely different. I mean, you, if you go from Olympic lifts to now you're using Kaisers and, and you're, you're going like FMS route, that's a whole nother, you know, a whole nother thing. And I think that's something that's not talked about. So in the future, I'm hundred percent on board. Like I said, if you need a signature, let me know, but I, I've always been, you know, definitely we, we need a, a bigger, national accredited thing and not just private instituted certifications because they don't help with stuff. I think it needs to be more of a, you know, a difficult kind of realm. And I, I think the internship stuff is, is a big deal too. You have to make sure that you get a certain number of hours, right? The CSCCA, I, I like, I won't share too much of my opinion. I mean, I think they're on the right track, but a lot of the stuff uh, still, you're, you're still being, you're at the mercy of, of only a handful of people, you know, so that changes, but I a hundred percent, I think the accreditedness would. Um, so we did touch on the future. Uh, we did talk about it a little bit too. Why do you think there's so many injuries in everything? What do you think we need to do to kind of combat some of those things? I mean, I know we talked about education, but just in professional sports, it just seems like there's a, everybody's just going down everywhere you look, people are hurt every five seconds. What do you think needs to happen and, and how do we kind of fix those things? Yeah, I think we touched on it briefly earlier about just uh, people specializing a lot earlier, you know, in their sport and them playing their sport all year round, you know, from a young age. But I think also uh, what we really deal with is just that win now mentality. You know, we don't look at player availability for the whole entire season. It's like, well, my job rides on this one job or like this one game. So I need everybody to play, you know, the Jimmy's and the Joes get them out there. And it's like, well, I don't really know if most teams are driven off of, uh, player health it's more just performance which which stinks because you're putting the the athletes at risk and I think the other thing is just continuing to build that relationship between strength and conditioning and sports med you know and really getting that harnessed and on the same page because I think a lot of the time uh that relationship if you look at like I think about all the schools that I've been at um and people's willingness to work together and not like have an ego of like I got this player healthy or you got this player healthy or we're winning because I'm such a great strength coach um I think just people's ability to to work within that space uh, cohesively for the return to play process and and really just um looking at like some of these athletes even are starting to hit like higher velocities at younger ages, you know, mm -hmm. and like throwing harder and this, that, and the other, but it's going to come at a cost, you know, the more frequently that you do it at a younger age. So I think looking at that as well and the training and even like the footwear, I even think about like some of the cleats, like the high performance cleats that like you're running on turf and it grips the ground. So you're putting so much force output in and what goes to give your knee, you know? So I think, um, I think that win now mentality is really affecting um, because coaches jobs are on the line. So they're like, maybe as a, an athletic trainer or a strength coach, like we can only do so much. I mean, we can, you know, but like at the end of the day, especially at the professional level, I'm sure it's a whole different ball game, but like that win now mentality um, it's not really focused around player health, sadly, to a certain degree, I think it could get a lot, lot better. And I think, the more objective measurements we start to collect, you know, to, to put in front of the sport coaches will help, you know, and that's why really building out the, the sport science area. I know that's what I'm going to be over here, um, building that out over the next three to five years at Pitt um, to be holistic with the, the SNC side of things, but having more of those objective measures to kind of back us, you know, of what we think and really getting the coaches to buy into some of that stuff and, and looking at it in a sense of like, Hey, here's just more information. I'm not telling you what to do, but like, 
we've seen historically when we push this person during this time of year, like we lost them for the rest of the season. So I think there's a lot of good to come with framing things as observations uh, to, to sport coaches. A lot of the time when things get tough, who do they start to turn to us, you know, for answers? It's like, I just need help. But I think, yeah, we really need to get away from that win now mentality and, and drive things off performance, you know, or, or off health um, versus performance. That's right. I kind of sit right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, I did an interview with a kid who's actually intern at Pitt, uh, but he trained somebody in the NBA and we were talking about how he was like, you know, do I really make them better or, or I just keep them as the person they are? And that's why they've had a, you know, 12 to 15 year career in the NBA. And I, I think that's something you bring up is I, I think that's more of a goal, too, that that everybody should want. You know, if somebody is already phenomenal, right? we talked about Giannis before, how much more would you like him to do? You know, I mean, I, I always love him as an example because, you know, as a, a strength coach and everything you've been through, you and I watch sports a lot different than everybody else. Right. I'll sit there in awe and people are like, what, what's wrong with you? It's a basketball game. I'm like, do you realize that this six foot 11 guy just dunked a basketball then ran the full length of the floor and dunked a guy bigger than, you know, he blocked the ball of a guy bigger than him. And then he did like a spin move and ran, you know, like all these things. But I think it's how much exactly, how much do more, do you want out of these athletes? You know, if you run a four, four flat in football, which I don't think is going to happen, but who knows what else is that going to do? Right. I mean, it's, I think those things are always, um, you know, things that need to be changed I think it's that measurement speaking of measurements what do you think about the all the analytics stuff I know you know I have you know my opinion a lot of it's very good a lot of it's great for readiness but the surge of analytics how do you feel about you know where that's going do you think that sometimes it's too much or do you think we're the more analytics we use the better we are as kind of getting information yeah no this is definitely something that's been coming up in a lot of conversations for me as I I'm taking over the sports science department. We have like sports science master's students. We have PhD students that I'm over um, and really trying to educate them on how to go and talk to sport coaches is key. And I really, the philosophy of that for me is just making sure that we make data informed decisions, not data driven decisions. That's kind of what I live by. And, and I educate them by utilizing a, a feedback loop. So like with that, um, we're collecting data, right? A bunch of numbers um, and analyzing that. So then we go to, collect it and then we work around the loop to analyze and interpret. So with that, we're looking at like norms, thresholds, preparedness, trends that we see. Um, and then working around that, we go to adjusting. Like, all right, what are we gonna adjust um, within the framework, whether it's increase, decrease, um, alternate or supplement. And then after we adjust things then it's like implementation. So whether it's in training and competition, like, hey, maybe we hold out Susie Q from playing just because we know Hey, we hold them now. They're gonna be a lot more better off down the road, but, um, recovery education, like I said, but I really try to educate our data science or sports science students to utilize that feedback loop at a high level, because at the end of the day, we're collecting all these numbers and metrics, you know, we're just trying to come up with uh, asking better questions, you know, and then answering questions for the sport coaches and, and kind of going back and collecting that data and then coming back with answers for them, you know, of how can this drive performance and make things better. And that's why I really try to simplify things for the sport coaches of that, that feedback loop and kind of working around. It's like, all right, we've collected all of it. What do we do after this? Then we analyze it. Then what do we do after this? Adjust, you know, and then we implement. So I think the more that you can simplify things such as that, you know, to the sport coaches, it makes a little bit more sense because every sport, like I'm over, like I said, 
a lot of different sports. So what they're going to look at from a KPI standpoint will be different, but I think really approaching things and making it simple from the beginning makes them a little bit more apt to, to wanting to use some of this tech, you know, and smarting, starting small and then getting bigger. Something that I did at Mississippi State, because whenever I got there, there was like zero technology. And then I came in and added a lot of different pieces to the table. Um, we had like a sports science open house my like first couple months there once we added everything. We let the sport coaches come in. We did a presentation to them actually with our engineering department because they had a mocap lab that we used for testing. We presented to them about all the different pieces of technology, like what may be better for track to use versus baseball versus golf, you know, um, what are some overlapping qualities that we can look at for like all the rotational sports. But we went through everything, explained it, um, how it could be good or great for their sport. And then we let them like even try it out if they wanted to. But we demonstrated all of it with like, whether it was myself or the interns and then our uh, engineering team talking to them. So we had athlete engineers talking to them about how you could use the lab, you know, like what research we could do, like, what do you want to know? You know, like well, whether it's using the bat or something, like how can this help us with performance, uh, testing different things out. And I think us putting, like educating them on the front end. So they're not walking in the weight room on the back end and seeing their student athlete use like a gym aware. Like what the heck is that? Why is that strapped at the bar? Like, what is that reading in the iPad? What are they collecting my kids? Um, the fact that we went about it in that manner, I think really made us successful. But I think uh, a lot of the time I've seen, like even with Catapult, let's say like you collect a year's worth of data, but you don't make any like adjustments or implementation, you know, then you start to lose the sport coaches of like, yeah, it was great. We've had it for the last year, but I didn't really see anything performance-wise change. So we're just collecting data. It's like, all right, we need to invest in things that are going to have a, a direct impact performance-wise and kind of have a, a wide variety, especially for the sport coaches that may not really buy into it all that much at the beginning of times. So and I was actually just talking to um, a really great professional at Nebraska, their director of sports science, um, Chris, and he was telling me about- a friend that works like, over there. Yeah, but they have a great layout of, um, and I was asking him, like, as we build out, like, our new school science area, I was asking him for feedback on, like, hey, what have you seen work, not work, and somewhere in between, and he was even talking about, like, pairing up, and I thought it was a great idea, like, hey, some of these metrics that you may be pulling from Jim Aware or Catapult or, like, reactive strength index from your contact grid or 10 sprint, like, as if you can pair up and like the sports scientists present with the strength coach and be on the same page, it's like, all right, I already see the sport coaches see, like, we must have a strength coach, you know, like we must have an athletic trainer. We must have a sports scientist. I don't know. That hasn't been something in the past. So the more that we can pair up these other parties to present with the sports scientists, that's the, the more they see them on the same page as us, you know, holistically. And they've seen a lot of success with that, which I'm like, all right, that definitely makes sense. When we're going over the catapult reports or doing a presentation on like the, the AMS system that we're going to use, if we can all present together, um, then we're going to start to see a little bit more buy-in and build a little bit more momentum, especially with the coaches that may not be as forward thinking when it comes to like clearly the soccer's like with Europe and sports science being very yeah. forward over there and like 10 years ahead of us, let's say like soccer's are usually a bit of a, an easier sell, but let's say like the wrestlings, the track, I think they're definitely open-minded, but you need to be uh, strategic with how you present some of these things to be successful, especially if your athletic department is about to invest a lot of money in it. You want to see it, of course, raise up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that integrated, you know, presentation is, is great. You know, having the ability to let everybody use it, right? Instead of talking about it in numbers, because most of the time when you go through those things, the sport coaches really don't care about, 
numbers and, and, and what these things are doing, but they want to see it on the field. And exactly, oh, you collected all these numbers, right? We had to deal with all these sensors and the kids complaining. And now what has it done for us? So I think that approach that you use is great being able to, you know, present everything kind of like a job fair and, and being able to have them use it. But also I think it's very interesting where certain things work for different sports, because I think, you know, continuously still, and I, I don't know why, but in our field and just in general, everybody wants the one piece of equipment that's going to help every sport or the one exercise that is going to, you know, define velo and speed and, and everything else instead of chalking it up to, well, this helps with basketball, this helps with baseball and this helps with soccer. But I think that integrated approach is, is going to really help. And I hope that it's something that, you know, everybody else starts using because I feel like in a lot of other places I talk to, it's, we have one thing, we all bought a can of pole and everybody uses that instead of, that might be good for baseball because there's a lot more different, you know, preparation readiness, but then maybe if you're a hundred meter runner and you run one race a day, you don't really need that much data because, you know, you're not going through that much stuff or, or the, the level of recovery is a little different. Yeah. I think uh, the more I've talked with different sports scientists in the, the college realm and the professional realm, it's like when you go in to have conversations with the sport coaches, you really need to, to go about it in a way of like, how can I help with performance? You know, mm-hmm. not like I want to use your kids as lab rats, you know, for research. I think a lot of the time, like when you're partnering with um, some of like the research labs and whatever else, like they have their motives, you know, and what motivates them to, to want to run the research, right. To get publications mm-hmm. and this and the other look good. And you want to make sure that you're not letting like, the research end of things trump like why we're adding sports science, you know, and make sure that we're finding a way to correlate it to performance. And I was even asking a couple of professionals like, hey, when you go about staffing like your sports science team, so if there's the director and then you have two assistants, let's say our associate and another assistant, like how are you going about staffing that? Like, are you requiring them to have a, a PhD, you know, or are you requiring them like they have this many years of SNC experience and they can kind of do the boots on the ground and and apply practically and all that jazz. So I think when you're, when you're staffing your, your sports science team, just like your strength staff, like you have to have a well-rounded approach because it's not like you want somebody like your strength staff. I have, let's say 10 people underneath me, like everyone to have the same niche, you know, this person's, everyone's good at sports science. Well, they should be to a certain degree, but like this person's good at return to play. This one's really good at programming mm-hmm. plyometrics. This person's really good at being the liaison to all the other performance areas. Like you have to have um, a lot of different skill players around you, you know, you can't have the same, the same fit. Like I make sure, like, I know my strengths, like I need to staff around me to balance that out in some way, shape or form, but also like, I still have to be dangerous in all areas, you know, as the head person. So I think really looking at things, not only with your SNC staff that way, but like, I need somebody also like to be able to go to practice and have conversations with sport coaches and know the sport and, and know like the language, you know, when you got the soccer field, you need to call it like the pitch, you know, do you know that? Like, and PhD students sometimes really have a hard time. They're coming straight from a PhD to a sports science realm at a a power five school, like going and having conversations about like setting up practice and all that jazz and you've never been in it. So I think having that balance of both, if you can on your staff would be, would be smart, you know, and that's just from kind of me collecting information from a lot of different professionals around the country of, of how they've gone about it, but not by any means. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm just trying to like collect intel so I can learn from other people's mistakes, really. Yeah, absolutely. Learning and, and, and putting the ego away and, and being open. And I, you know, I think the other thing to keep us as a field growing is, is be open to talk to people. You know, there's still parts where people don't want to tell you what they're doing and 
People still haven't figured out that if I give you everything I've ever done for baseball and you give me everything you've ever done for every other sport, I wouldn't be able to do it just like you did. It wouldn't matter if I could give you the equipment, the weight room and the, you know, the players and the people, and it wouldn't be the same. And for some reason we have, you know, still that issue, but I also like the approach, you know, that you talked about getting people in that are good at things that you are not good at. Right. And I think that is a new concept that I, that I've heard about. And I, I do like that a lot better because if you and I are the same, we're going to have problems communicating with somebody who doesn't respond the same way, but by putting different players in there, you know, that, that are good at certain things, one might be a rah-rah person, but then other one might not be rah-rah, but they might understand people very well. So after the rah-rah part, they can go over and kind of relay the message. But I think it's so important to have eight or nine people that can relay a message in a different way or kind of adapt to how your athletes are. But I also think it's very important. You know, you brought up, if you have somebody that's very good at power output and plyometrics or somebody that's good at reoccurring injuries or getting people to do the rehab, you need to have those those, those different things, right? It's no longer, I can just get people stronger. That doesn't matter. That's very, you know, that that's a skill set. but I think it's very important to be able to have those factions in there to make your staff the best it can be. And I think that's kind of a great approach to say, okay, you know, you're the best at, at explosive stuff, right? And, and West side barbell stuff, as an example, you can do the in-season stuff for this. Okay. But then this other person doesn't really like that too much. So they can do this other thing, but allowing everybody to kind of succeed at what they're great at within the same realm. Yeah, no, I think uh, even my current role, I came in and I have some staff members already here and looking to hire more, but it's my job to, to pair up personnel, you know, and assign teams accordingly to, to what personnel I have in-house and what do I need to hire to really round out our staff. And like, whether it's looking at, right, the soccer's like, clearly it's a field sport. So energy system development and understanding like how to run catapult, you know, uh, is going to be important. So some type of sports science realm and the energy system development is going to be important for these field sports, like a track and field, let's say like heavy lifting protocols. Can you uh, write that out? You know, are you well-versed? Like some of the volleyballs, for example, like Olympic lifting is going to be important. Like, can you coach the Olympic lifts? You know, you think everyone can, but really can you? No, yeah, yeah. Um, rotational sport athletes, what does that look like? How many have you trained? So I think really looking at like what I've had to do over the last 30 days was look at the personnel I have, like what are their strengths, having conversations with them. Um, and what they feel comfortable doing and how are they going to fit? Like I met with all the sport coaches, what personality are they looking for? Are they looking for someone that's high energy? Like, okay, I know Susie Q are here is definitely not high energy. So if I pair those up, it's probably not going to be a good fit along with skill set. So I think it's definitely a multi-layered approach of, as I've come in assessing the staff that I have currently. And then of course, like knowing my skill set, who I look to work with, and then also I have to hire a few more people, like three more people in what am I looking for within those three people? Because I think sometimes, like I try to explain this to interns or GAs and all the above, like when people are hiring for full-time positions, like you may be a great candidate, but just the fit isn't great because mm -hmm. of your background and what you've been exposed to. Like if they need somebody that's heavy field sport experience, you know, whether it's speed development, change of direction, the catapult piece, like I said, and you have zero of those qualities, but you're a great strength coach, you know, you're great on the floor of coaching. And if you're good at the heavy lifting protocols, but like, the position they have open, maybe it's a hybrid position of sports science and strength. You're seeing a lot of those that clearly don't fit that mold. So like, don't take it personal, just keep applying, you know? Mm -hmm. So for, you know, from a, an administrative standpoint, what advice would you give to, you know, you just went up, but to somebody starting out, maybe out of high school, how do you kind of combat all the new information, right? Cause now you have to know the, the catapult stuff and the technology, and then there's all different realms from your experience 
how would you go about kind of taking that down from the beginning? You know, say I wanted to be a strength coach right at a high school or anybody listening out there. How would you go about, you know, just kind of going through that to make sure that you make yourself presentable and well-rounded to kind of jump into the field at its current state? Yeah, I mean, the field's making it tough right now, right? Like I just came from an SEC school, um, clearly baseball's powerhouse in the SEC, right? And the big thing now is hiring a baseball-only strength coach, you know, like within that conference. If you don't have a baseball-only guy, just like the basketball's like, what are you doing type of thing, you know? Um, so I think the field's setting some areas up for failure because I'm a little biased. I came up being around football and all of Olympic sports. So I had exposure to a very wide variety of training modalities, you know, and technology because I've been at some places that have a high level of resources, you know, the Clemson's of the world where we have a lot of money to try out every piece of tech possible, like, get some 1080s, this, that, and the other. So I was lucky to be at a place that had resources. Um, but I think the field's kind of setting people up of like, all right, well, if you want to get in football, like you have to get in football and stay in football. And like, if you get into Olympic sports, like you're signing your life away and you're never getting back into football. So, and same with like the basketball. So if you don't get into basketball early and you're not a basketball person, like, or same with like baseball is turning into it as well. And like, it's not uh it's just setting younger people up if they can't have the exposure to training all these different teams and understanding like with the field sports, like I said, energy system development, um, you can learn that. And then also working with like golf, tennis, volleyball, baseball, softball, rotational sport athletes. What does that look like? Look like um, some of the Olympic lifting that you see with volleyball and track and field, getting exposed to that and being able to coach at a high level, like working with all these teams uh, allows you to build out your toolbox as people say. So like, the field setting young professionals up to specialize early because that's how they're going to be successful, you know, but um, are you really allowing them to develop holistically, you know, and even with that, like certain pieces of tech are utilized within the sport of baseball or basketball or football, you know, but maybe they don't use another wealth or breadth of, of technology that you see within all the Olympic sports, you know, so I think you could be limiting yourself. And again, I'm biased because I came up in Olympic sports and I've been in football at the beginning of times too, but um, yeah, our field of strength and conditioning is kind of hopefully my biggest thing is like doing your research and doing your homework on what professionals you're going to work for. You know, like if you're going to somebody that's uh, like in football, but they have had a breadth of knowledge, they can educate you on all ends of the spectrum. They're going to take time to mentor you and pour into you. Then awesome. Like you can learn a lot from them because they've had a, a large breadth of knowledge. But um, I think just doing your homework and I've even like I'm a female in a leadership role. I've had so many young females call me and be like, I want to come interview for you because you're a female. And I was like, that's definitely not how you can approach this. Like you need to look at this. Hey, I need to do my homework of all the different internships that are out there and what's going to give me the, the best situation when it comes to learning about both sides because both are important now. You got to know about the sports science, but you also have to be able to like coach on the floor and, and have conversations and be able to communicate at a high level within our setting. So where can you go to get the, the best experience of professionals pouring into you? And it's not just you're, you're cleaning all day long, you know, you're going through a high level curriculum. And I was lucky to have that at um, the places that I came up in um, and people that educated me at a high level to, to set me up for where I'm at. You know, whenever I was with Rick at Clemson, he poured into me to make sure I understood as like the assistant director, like, you know, how to run the budget, you know, how to handle sport coaches, this, that, and the other. So I think as long as you're doing your homework on who you're going to work for and knowing that their, their track record is, Hey, I'm going to pour into you and make sure you're educated on all fronts. You know, you're not just like training basketball on the floor all day and then you leave, you know, and that's all, you know, it's like training and then everything else is by the wayside. Um, I think just doing your homework is, 
is really important. And you work for like Zach at TCU. I've heard nothing but great things about him and, and how he pours into his people. So I think like just telling interns, don't, don't base your, uh, your choice just based off social media, right? Cause it's mm-hmm. easy to like put on a front on social media that I'm running the best internship program in the country. Like trying to lean on the professionals that you know to be like, hey, who can I call or reach out to that um, you think could possibly be some good spots for me to go intern at, you know? And projectability is so important. Like, all right, people that go intern at this spot, like where do you see them go and flourish? Or do they go to that spot and then they get out of the field? That's probably not a good sign. So yeah, I think those are a few things that I've tried to point young people in the right direction of. Of course, I have personal bias because I came up in a Olympic world for a long, long time. But I think, uh, yeah, the... The separate weight rooms and all that jazz is starting to get wild and dicey, but uh, there's great professionals out there in the world to so go work for them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't agree more. I mean, bringing up Zach, I nothing but great things, and I, I love being there. But with my, you know, going there, the decision was uh, I knew I had to do football just to kind of get out of the way because, you know, listening football is a whole nother world. I mean, first day we were wrapping knees and watching people squat 800 pounds, and I was like, oh my God, like this is wild but I went there because I knew he was there I wanted to go in baseball and that is kind of how I made my decision but I I think it's you know great advice get exposure as much as you can you know and make sure also you you talked about the the personality I think that's with social media I think that's easier than ever right because you know you've heard so many stories I mean I same as you I, I had the the fortune of going to places with people that I got along with who pushed me and kind of figured out who I was and, and put, I'm not quiet either, as you could probably tell, but, you know, put me in, in situations where I could flourish and kind of understood things, but there are places out there where the coaches treat you like, you know, that some of them don't talk to you or, or they, they're very standoffish because that's what they did. So again, with social media, go on the pages and talk to people and, and, you know, uh, find out the, the, almost the, the personalities that maybe fit with you, or if you want to make a change, find a personality that's, completely different than yours but I think that's so important you know get out there and and just you know try to experience as much as you can and and try to be around as as much as you can and just like you said too the professional realm is is different once you go into professional when you try to go back into college it's the same thing there's a barrier kind of like in between Olympic and 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 football so I think those are again things to uh, understand, you know, bias from the minor leagues, everybody listening, because we talked about it. If you want to go into that, do your research, know what you're getting into, because it's a whole nother, you know, whole nother world, whole different than college. But I think, you know, with everything going on, there's a lot of information and I, I think everything is great, but it's extremely important to, to do your research and just understand where you're going and what you're doing, you know, because I've seen it. I'm sure you've worked with people. They get to certain places and they're like, what, what is, this is terrible. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you should have you know, you should have did your research or you should have understood what you're doing. Yeah. No, I think like it's so easy to, to get in contact with professionals now mm-hmm. versus back in the day, you know, like young people coming up, like you can direct message like different strength coaches on Instagram or on yeah. Twitter That's and we respond, you know, like, like it's so easy to, to get in contact with people and like the right people. Like I know I'll take time to get back to, to younger professionals because I care, you know, and I'm like, Hey, if I, I was that young professional back in the day and I email 50 people to try to get feedback and, and kind of ask some questions and maybe three get back to me. But I'm like, all right, sweet. Like I respect these three people. I, like they clearly care and they want to make me feel better and they want to help. So um, you just have to be pretty persistent with some of that stuff and, and try to really find like the diamond in the rough, right? Maybe there's some people that aren't even on social media, but they're, they're really, really intelligent. Um, 
Like we have a guy at Carnegie Mellon right down over the hill, Alan DeGenero. He's been in college football. He's been in the NFL. He's been at Carnegie Mellon. Like wealth of knowledge, not really all too much social media, but like I think sometimes people miss, there's a lot of diamonds in the rough out there that you got to reach out to and they're, they're breath of knowledge. They're just not in the social media game. But um, yeah, do your homework and really figure out what you're signing up for before you get there. It's going to be key to set yourself up for success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the conferences, you know, once COVID lifts is another great place, you know, because every time you go there, you end up sitting next to a strike coach. It's almost like inevitable. You can, you could fly from the Philippines and you would literally probably end up on a plane with somebody going somewhere. So I think those are another good tool, but I think those are great things. Look for diamond in the rough. I think I know a kid that played there, by the way. I think oh, I know cool. a few people that played for, I don't, I can't at the top of their field, but I have definitely heard that high school. So I think I had athletes from baseball, I think maybe, or, or soccer, but I've definitely, definitely heard of the school. Very cool. No, the diamond in the rough is key. <laughs> exactly. Always. Well, Stephanie, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. I, I really appreciated the conversation and it was great, you know, getting to know you a little bit and, and happy we got to, you know, share a bunch of knowledge and hopefully, you know, people listen to this and it informs them and helps them, you know, take steps in their career. Yes, 100%, Joe. I really appreciate it. Love chatting. Love your picture in the background, whoever <laughs> drew you. that. Um, and I look forward to being in touch and, yeah, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, find me on Twitter and or Instagram, mock underscore Stephanie. Not too hard to find. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I look forward to staying in touch, Joe. And thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. And when I put out the post for uh, this episode, I will put out the Instagram uh, for you on the on the thing. And I'll tag you in there. So anybody listening wants to do uh, ask questions. And also starting uh, next week, uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday, I will do a live Q&A uh, about this episode, and then we can kind of talk about what the, you know, the listeners and things uh, got from this and, and the questions they had. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. 